Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Where Work Meets Life. This is part two of the episode uh, with Dr. Stefan Zavalin about stop sitting for better work-life wellness. So I am just delighted to continue our conversation on this important topic, Dr. Stefan. I am as well. It's just, it's always such a pleasure. And I love all the energy that we're getting in this. Excellent. And we covered so much ground last time about, you know, movement and the importance of moving, not just exercising, but moving and how to get into patterns and habits where you build the movement into your work life, whether you're working from home or from an office. Now, when I first met you, I was very inspired by your story. Um, Tell us about how you completed a doctorate in physical therapy while becoming legally blind. And what a story it is. Uh, I I will give the rather short version of it all, but effectively I started first semester uh, of grad school and I was having some light sensitivity. I thought maybe I just got a little scratch on the cornea, that's at least what they told me. And they said, you're gonna be perfectly fine. The eye is one of the fastest healing organs. It'll be okay. Couple weeks didn't seem to change. Not sure what was going on, kept on going in, kept on getting one diagnosis after another. And finally they started just saying, well, there's a lot of inflammation. Let's just dump some steroids in there and it'll be okay. Fast forward to a couple months later, now the steroids weren't really helping. It was all, inflamed. It was bad. I was incredibly light sensitive to where I was constantly in sunglasses and just always hiding away. Uh, And finally, my dad found a specific uh, hospital where they had really good specialists. And I went and they said, we see this all the time. You actually have a parasite in your eye. It wasn't anything else because before they said it was like a, a virus, a bacterial infection. It was none of those. It was a parasite. By that point, it had been months since I've gotten it. And because everybody asks, I got it from tap water in Philadelphia. It wasn't Brazil or any kind of exotic thing that I did. It was just, it was just there. The issue that happened was because normal tears usually kill the parasite, but I had a contact over the cut. And so the eye healed while I had the contact over it. And so the tears could never get to that portion. So since they didn't treat it correctly for months and months and months, It resulted in several surgeries. My vision kind of went in and out. It came back after a while. I had cataract surgery, all sorts of things. Eventually it ended up with nerve damage and that's how I was rendered completely legally blind because there's nothing you can do once there's nerve damage. You can wear all the glasses you want, but the connection to the brain isn't quite there. I was very fortunate that everybody at my uh, grad school was very understanding and they let me finish everything up in in due course on my own time. And finally I, I graduated, I actually went into the clinic. Um, and I did at one point think about writing a comedy show about this, uh, just to demonstrate my, my kind of feelings about it all. I'm very happy talking about it. And when people ask how much can you really see, I see shapes and outlines and colors, but the beauty about physical therapy and why I kind of kept going with it is because a lot of it was hands-on. And so I didn't really have to see as much for it. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that's what kept the passion going. And even throughout my recovery, uh, this is how much movement and how much I love movement and to move why I'm doing what I'm doing. My surgeon said, you're not allowed to exercise. And I went, okay, can I stand up from a chair? Sure. You can stand up from a chair. All right. I went home and I sit up from a chair a hundred times. It technically wasn't exercise, 
I, so luckily it didn't do anything bad, but I definitely kept movement and exercise as part of that whole thing through my recovery. And it, it really did help me get through a lot of the tough times. Wow. What a story. And you seem like such a positive person. You seem that you haven't held on to a lot of bitterness or cynicism around what happened to you because it seems really unfair. So how did you get beyond that unfairness to have your, your passion and optimism for life? Partly I had an amazing support system. Uh, so I was up in Philadelphia, like I said, and uh, right now I live in Nashville. My whole family is in Nashville. My parents flew up and they stayed with me because the hospital and the specialists were up there. And so they were with me the entire time, even when I kind of wasn't able to go to school. So for months they were, they were there to make sure that they supported me. And somehow they were more upset about it than I was. And I always felt that I had to support them and tell them that it's going to be okay, guys. It's, it's going to be fine. I know it's going to be all right. And in that way, I kind of convinced myself about that. I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, there was a specific point because way back when, when I started undergrad, I was a music major. And I asked my dad, I said, what if, what if I completely lose the eye? What, what then? What would happen? And he goes, you'll become a musician, of course which coming from my dad, who is a theoretical physicist, is a preposterous thing to say. And I immediately just had this hope if I understood, you know, I don't know how, but it will be okay. It's gonna work out in some way, shape or form. Wow. So that's, that's amazing. So you are an inspiration and you've now written a book, you've started a business. Are you still treating patients as a, a physiologist, physical therapist? Uh, very rarely. And it's more along the lines of friends and family who will go, Hey, can you, can I pop over and, and I'll bring out my, my table and I'll do some of that. Uh, but my, my biggest reasoning was that, and the reason I started the business is I can, I can do, and I can help people one-on-one. -on -one. I can do plenty of things, but that's not what's going to make the biggest change in the world. And so I wanted to move to somewhere where I can have a lot more impact on a larger number of people than just one-on-one. -on -one. So the amount that I'm actually doing physical therapy is a little more limited nowadays. Okay, so which leads to my question about how do you hope that your love to move business will make a difference for people? For me, almost since day one of starting the business and talking about the business, brainstorming it with various people, we nicknamed it uh, a movement movement, for lack <laughs> of a better term. And the, the thought is that we wanted to make it a movement. We wanted to make it a global cultural change around how work is done, because that's what I noticed that I couldn't help people with in the clinic. They would come in, I would fix their problem. I would give them the exercises, do the hands-on. They would go away. They would come back a year later, same problems, because what they were doing at work and with their everyday life, I, I couldn't fix it. They never changed those habits. And I knew that just fixing the symptoms wouldn't help. I needed to address the problem. And so my dream for love to move and my hope, and this is 20, 30 years in the future thinking of we truly shift and change the culture of desk work and how desk work is done in the world. Lovely. So you've written a book, you've done a TED talk. What's next to help promote this uh, movement movement? A lot of it is, is getting in front of people. So most of what I do is, is the public speaking and getting on podcasts, of course, but also going to companies and starting this conversation saying it's actually possible and it's even better for you than you think. 
The other part is, and this is a bit of an exclusive, is that I've also started working on a second book. Um, I know, so how, how soon? But the ideas keep on coming about what really complements it and how to get the message correctly out there. Uh, so as, as we keep going, I, I do want to create that movement around it and start building a community of people that are really understanding with it and can push this idea forward. Wonderful. Well, I cannot wait to um, support and encourage uh, whatever you're doing in this sphere because it ties in so well with the work that we do as a workplace psychologist. Because um, part of workplace culture is having healthy people mentally and physically, right? Because if you don't have healthy people, it really erodes people's moods, people's productivity, their focus. And when people are in bad moods and not feeling great, you know, it just leads to you know, tougher dynamics, and then you get conflicts, and the whole thing erodes, right? So this does play a role. It certainly plays a role in, in workplace culture. So um, what does work-life wellness look like for you personally, Stefan? A constant adjustment um, is probably the, the best way to say it. It is, it is never perfect. Even, even for me, it is a constant reassessment of how I'm doing things. I will say that for me, if I was to give a quick rundown of my daily routine and how I'm trying to sort of sit less in that specific way, there's a walk every single morning. As soon as I get up, I usually put in a podcast or something like that, and I'm out the door uh, right there in the morning. I, when I come back throughout the day, uh, I usually say, I can tell how my back is feeling by the number of Zoom calls I've had. The more Zoom calls, the more standing, the better my back feels. So it's always, I'm always up. Every single Zoom call, I'm standing up. Maybe throughout the last year, two Zoom calls I've sat down for. Um, and I had my various reasons that I can't remember right now. Uh, but I've definitely taken on this idea of I need to change how I'm working to make sure that it's applicable. The beauty of working for yourself, which is a little bit difficult, is that I can shift my hours. So if I'm burnt out mentally, I can take those extra hours off, which can be a little bit harder for other people that don't have as flexible work schedules. So the reason I say that is it depends on when my workday ends. And usually at the end of my workday, I have a different pair of shoes that I put on. They're specifically my, the work is done pair of shoes. And I go for a second walk at the end of the day as well to sort of solidify of that's it. The, the work is done. You can now relax and sort of enjoy the rest of it. I do do exercise and that all kind of fluctuates depending on the day. Great, no, it's, it seems to um, fall into place, but like you said, it's a work in progress, which brings me to what has been the greatest challenge that's worked against you when it comes to your work-life wellness and how did you overcome that challenge? Part of it was doing what I preach um, because I am human, as surprising as that may seem. So we talked about the importance of movement, mobility, then cardiovascular things, then strength training. I have a big background in fitness, exercise, my undergrad degrees in kinesiology, which is exercise science effectively. And so a lot of me always kind of buys into this idea of I need to do strength training, I need to do strength training and saying, no, you have seen the research, you understand a lot better now that that's not the most important thing and making sure that the consistent movement throughout the day, the hard to do movements like the mobility drills or anything like that, that's the stuff you need to focus on for longevity. Because it's not about how great you might look right now, it's how great do you feel 
way down the line. Mm-hmm. Yes, very well put. Um, what is one book and one podcast that you'd recommend to help people learn more about improving their work-life wellness, energy levels, maybe some that have inspired you? You can share more than one. Sure. Um, for podcasts, one of my favorite ones, just because of the general energy and the feel of the podcast and the host is just so nice, is called Courting Happiness. And that's Courting with a K. The host's name is Courtney. That's that's why it is courting happiness, but it it really brings in uh, this this idea of and she was a journalist, so she really knows how to pull out good questions from her guests, and it's the, the energy around it and finding happiness at work. It, it's very important, and it's it's a wonderful podcast for that because sometimes even though I have the physical stuff down, the mindset, the mental health parts, I need help with, and so I, I like to take inspiration from a lot of that. When it comes to books, I will shamelessly plug my book um, for Sit Less is a great way to help you. But the book that helped me the most probably is uh, You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. Now, before you think that it is a money book, it is not a money book. It is completely a mindset and how do you view yourself? How do you feel empowered about your journey in the world and what you're doing? And then how you can make money off of that, which is more of an aside. And it really, it really helps to give you hope and to see that there's absolutely a way to be happy and also financially secure um, in your life. That's wonderful. I think so many people struggle with that, that concept of um, in order to make a lot of money, I need to basically kill myself um, working long hours, being a workaholic, etc. But how can you find the best of both worlds is, is a challenge for for people. So I am delighted that you're sharing that with everybody. And, and your book as well. I know I mentioned it on our uh, part one, but uh, the book is really well written. And it is a uh, very uh, digestible. It's not a super thick book. It's a, it looks like a totally um, decent size and you can flip to any chapter and get uh, a story. You can get practical tips, right? You get a, mm -hmm. a, case, a case story and then practical takeaways. Do you want to tell us anything else? Um, uh, no, that's, that's really the main thing. And this, the story, the nice part about the story is, so it's about Alice, uh, who's the main character. There are other characters, I swear. But it starts with her as an employee and she actually progresses through the leadership chain over sort of the time of the book so that more and more people throughout the company can sort of can understand and, and relate um, to how all of that might work. But the, the part at the end of each chapter, the your next three steps are actually an idea that I got from You Are About Us at Making Money because Jensen Cheryl puts in a at the end of each chapter, here's what you need to do to work on your mindset and help yourself progress. So that, that part definitely inspired me. And my wife and I actually, for a while, every week we would go and we would work through a chapter of her book. Um, and it, that really helped us think through a lot of the things of, well, what do we want out of life? What is the mindset? And then how does money support that? Lovely. And I, I noticed here frequency and consistency trumps intensity is one of the chapters. And again, I think that comes down to people often think intense exercise. That's what I need to do. But it's more movement that's more important than anything, followed by stretching, right? Absolutely. And in terms of the frequency and consistency trumps intensity is a concept that I like to use for 
nearly everything in life. So whether that be business, whether that be your overall mental health and happiness, if you try to be happy for one hour really, really intensely, that's, that's not the thing that's going to evolve over time. If you spend a few minutes every day, but you do it consistently over and over and over a longer period of time and work on your mindset, that's what's going to make you necessarily happy. So it's the same thing with, like you said, exercise. Doing an intense session one time a week is not nearly as beneficial as just taking a walk every single day for even five or 10 minutes. Well put. Yeah. So it's consistency versus intensity. And I'm going to ask you an interesting question that I ask all the guests is if you did not have to sleep and you could buy back that time or have that time back, what would you do with that extra time? I love working out. Um, it's maybe even a guilty pleasure. It's because I'm a physical therapist, I suppose. I don't know. But whenever I find myself in the gym, which I don't really go to now since the pandemic, I, I mostly work out at home, but it's like a playground for me. I could easily spend two or three hours there. It may not be the best two or three hours and you don't need to spend two or three hours. I just have fun there. So I know that I would definitely try out all sorts of different exercises and sports and all of that because that's fun for me. And then I would also delve a lot deeper into my creative side of uh, songwriting, and uh, I, maybe I would learn how to draw. It's always been an aspiration of mine, but it seems that I try to do too many things at once. But I think those would be my big three. Wow. And with your, your vision challenge um, being driven to draw, that just shows me how um, exceptional you are in terms of any challenge is worth taking in your, your game. Well, the funny part about that is, is I sometimes I like to do a little bit of sketching and some, sometimes I will draw it out and I think, wow, that actually looks pretty good. And then I'll take a picture of it or I'll show it to my wife. And when I take a picture, I can actually zoom in or put it on a bigger screen and see it. And I okay. go, oh, oh, no, that does that does not look good. That is that is not <laughs> what I thought, thought it was. And I my wife is lovely in this. She says, well, but it's interesting because we get to see it from your perspective. Um, and then my, my reaction was always like, yeah, but it sucks. So I, I, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> maybe that's just me being too critical of myself. Who knows? Well, they say drawing is a really great outlet for your mental health. So good for you. Even if it doesn't look great, it's the process of doing it and the humor around it that can be just as beneficial. Absolutely. There's a, a study of something like drawing five minutes a day will increase your overall productivity. It could just be doodling. It doesn't matter. It's just the act of creating something completely new. It, it helps to maintain a lot of brain health and things like that. So yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So if you could have one wish for a better world when it comes to our work and life, lives as human beings, what would that wish be? Hmm. Good question. I'll, I'll try to get a little deep with it. Um, I would want us to stop compartmentalizing everything in life so much because it seems that we try to put things into their own little boxes and treat things less and less as a whole. So if we take a look at work-life wellness, work should be part of life. You shouldn't be not alive when you're working. It, it should be there as a part of it. And I understand why we sort of have to make those distinctions. But at the same time, when we repeatedly see we treat employees and workers as human beings. And 
in their whole and entirety without pushing different parts into different compartments. I just think that that's the big change that that we need to see that needs to happen. And work is only one part that we see that in. I think more and more we try to push different aspects of ourselves into boxes and we should really just take in the whole. Yeah, I think that that compartmentalized thinking leads to a lot of uh, judgment, assumptions and polarization. So three things and, and people, it's easier to think in boxes or categories, but I, I feel human beings are far more nuanced than that. Absolutely. And then it, it's the misunderstanding of where somebody just sees that one little part and immediately says, Oh, that's the whole of you. That's, that is the entirety where it's, it's a small piece. We, we may, we judge too quickly in that sense as well. Yeah, we sure do. So that is a wonderful, beautiful wish. Thank you, Dr. Stefan, for contributing to the world uh, in the way that you do. And I love the dedication in your book, by the way. I opened it up and saw this, and it, it really uh, resonated. To my readers, you have the capacity to change lives and, in fact, change the world. And I think you are on your way to making a real impact, Dr. Stefan. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen, because even if you may not take any actions right now, at least you're starting to think about it. And that's, that's really all I can ask for. Wonderful. And again, please check out the show notes. That's where we'll have the link to Dr. Stefan's book, as well as information about uh, the resources, the website, my monthly newsletter is packed full of tips and resources. And um, I'm hoping that uh, you will sign up, follow me, rate and review the podcast if you like it. Um, and I love to hear from you. So take care and stay well, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on Where Work Meets Life. I'm passionate about sharing insights from experts around the world on topics at the intersection of where work meets life. If you found this podcast useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. For more articles, information, and tips, sign up for my monthly newsletter at my website, drlaura.live. This podcast summary contains links to the psychology practice I founded, Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology, as well as my current employer, Humans, a nationwide organizational psychology firm focusing on culture and performance. Stay well.